Welcome to the UK Travel Planning Podcast. Your host is the founder of the UK Travel Planning website, Tracy Collins. In this podcast, Tracy shares destination guides, travel tips, and itinerary ideas, as well as interviews with a variety of guests who share their knowledge and experience of UK travel to help you plan your perfect UK vacation. Join us as we explore the UK from cosmopolitan cities to quaint villages, from historic castles to beautiful islands, and from the picturesque countryside to seaside towns. Hi and welcome to episode number seven of the UK Travel Planner podcast. Today, I thought I would talk about some of the questions that get asked quite often in our Facebook group and through emails and quite often just questions about visiting the UK and etiquette and kind of rules and um, how to not make any faux pas when you're in in England. So I'm actually going to talk specifically about England today because I am English. Um, I'm born, I was born in the northeast of England. So I felt it was probably better if I talked about this from an English perspective because, uh, we are different from the Welsh and the Scottish and, um, the Northern Irish. So I, I thought this was the best way to approach the subject. So I'm going to talk through kind of 14 things, things that I think it's useful to know when you're visiting England for the first time. And hopefully I'll answer quite a few of those kind of questions that you probably have at the back of your mind. Okay, so number one is don't push in or invade personal space. So I I don't queue jump. So we line up, we queue very readily in, in England. Um, I don't know if we're trained to do that from birth, but I know that it's something that we feel quite strongly about. We also like our personal space. So it's really important to not push into that bubble. So if you need to squeeze past someone, we will always say, excuse me, as we pass. Um, and that's a polite way of just asking permission before you attempt to move through. You'll actually find, to be honest, if you bump into an English person, they'll probably say sorry, even if it was you that bumped into them. I think Again, something that we're just conditioned to do. This strong cue culture, or I think it's a line, lineups in America, you call it. We just like to form cues and wait for our turn patiently. We're just not really fans of kind of pushy people and pushing in. Uh, and if you um, push in accidentally, um, you'll probably find that you're going to get lots and lots of tuts and lots and lots of stares at you directed by the people <laughs> who you've actually jumped in front of. We tend not to really say anything. So you probably won't get anybody saying something to you directly, but what you will get are a lot of stares and a lot of tutting. But yeah, so that's my number one tip to think about when you're in the UK. Following on from that, I was going to give you tip number two, which actually uh, applies particularly for those of you who will be in London and traveling on the London Underground system or the tube is not to stand on the left-hand side on escalators. Always keep to the right. You will see signs that will say keep right. If you find on, if you do stand on the left, you'll find a lot of unimpressed people who will actually be trying to get past you because the left-hand side is used for people to get up and down the escalators quite quickly. Also, we just recommend that um, you avoid traveling during rush hour periods, definitely before 9.30 a.m. and after 4 p.m. on weekdays if you can because it will be busier at that point on the tube. There are other ways to get around London. So um, 
you know, if you're going underground, it's fantastic and it's a really good system. But you are underground, so you're not going to see as much. So we would recommend trying out some of the other methods of transport when you're in London, including walking, um, because it is quite a walkable city. And we will be talking in a future podcast about uh, how to get around London on public transport. So do keep an eye out for that. But basically, the main point is, I guess, with one and two is that just to kind of be aware of what's happening around you. So as I say, like if you see a queue, join the back of it. If you're in London and you're on an escalator, you know, keep to the right. Look at the signs because that's what you'll see. And you'll see everybody else will be queuing up on the right hand side as well. Tip number three is to please learn the difference between the United Kingdom, Great Britain and England. It is a useful thing to know. So basically, Great Britain consists of England, Scotland and Wales. The United Kingdom is Great Britain plus Northern Ireland. England is not the same as Britain. Scotland is not England. In Scotland, the people are Scots or Scottish. In Wales, the people are Welsh. In England, the people are English, but you can call us Brits too. Bit complicated, isn't it? But actually, it's a really useful thing to know. And it's, uh, I think it's when people talk about Great Britain, the British, the English, UK, it can get really complicated. But if you basically know Great Britain is England, Scotland and Wales, but the United Kingdom is Great Britain plus Northern Ireland, and then you'll be on the right track. But definitely do not call Scottish people English because they're not. Do not call Welsh people Scottish because they're not or English. They are Scottish, they are Welsh, we are English, or we are all British. I hope that clears things up. <laughs> okay, tip number four is that we don't all speak like the Queen, uh, which you can probably tell from my accent because I don't sound like the Queen. Each region of England has their own accent, and you may hear many accents as you travel around. You will hear many accents as you travel around England. Some are easier to understand than others, and some are easier on the ear as well, shall we say. Do not expect many people to speak like the Queen. She speaks a form of English called received pronunciation, which is considered very posh by us commoners. It's also an indication of someone from the upper classes who probably attended boarding school and was raised by nannies. I'm from the north, so you could probably hear that my vowel sounds are, I say bath, uh, whereas people from down south will say bath. So we pronounce our vowels very differently. So if you, they're going to meet, you're going to meet lots of different people from around the UK when you, when you visit. And, and if you're traveling around England, you don't have to go very far to hear a different accent, especially if you're obviously if you're getting outside of London, you're going to hear lots of different accents. So, so I'm a Geordie, uh, because I'm from the Northeast. So that kind of applies to Tyneside and Northumberland. But even in that area, there's quite a difference in accents. A Mackham is somebody who's also from the Northeast, but from Sunderland and surrounding areas. And then I can't do these accents. I know there are some very talented people out here out there who can do them, but I can't. So a scouser is from Liverpool and surrounding area. So think about Paul McCartney and his accent. Um, Mancunian is from Manchester. Cockney is from the East End of London. And a Brummy is from Birmingham. But that's just a kind of few examples of the different accents that you might hear. And I have to admit that some the older generation speak, speak with stronger accents. I know, unfortunately, my, my grandfather passed away a number of years ago, but I had a friend who joined me, came to visit from Liverpool, and she couldn't understand what my grandfather was saying because his accent was very strong. 
But I had actually the same when we went to Liverpool and I struggled a couple of times when we were in a cafe to understand what somebody was saying. So it's regional variations and differences are very interesting. Um, as I say, just don't be surprised by it. And I'm sure if you've watched lots of television programs, I mean, there's great TV programs and you'll have heard lots of different accents anyway. But we're all very proud of our accents as well and try to keep them alive. Yeah, so enjoy them, enjoy them, but just don't try and copy us, please, because it's not easy. And I know I can't do, I could try and do a Liverpoolian accent or a London accent, but, but I can't. Um, and there are some really good comedians that do good jobs of it. But um, yeah, so just enjoy listening out. And, for the, and also we use different words as well. So you might get different words used in different parts of the country to describe similar things. But again, that's just that kind of regional, regional variations. But yes, uh, enjoy that when you're when you're there. So I think the thing is, um, if you do spend enough time in England, you will learn to recognize the different accents, that's for sure. Um, and I kind of, I guess the next point is probably a little bit related to that, is that some English place names are not pronounced the way you may expect. Yes, and it can be very interesting. Even myself has fallen foul to this on more than one occasion where I've totally pronounced the place completely incorrectly. One very famous place in the UK is Loughborough, um, who, which is often pronounced as Lugabruga by people who do not know how to uh, pronounce it correctly. Even from my area of the world where I come from, uh, which is uh, near Anik, is it, which is spelled A-L-N-W-I-C-K. So you would pronounce it would be kind of Alnwick. It's actually Anik. You don't pronounce the W. So we have lots and lots of fun words like that. Berwick, again, we don't pronounce the W. And then I guess my personal favorite, and this, I guess, comes from being spending some time in Australia, where is Leicester, which is L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R, which is pronounced Leicester. Um, and I've actually heard that pronounced as Leicester. But again, just have a go. As I say, I've done exactly the same. I've mispronounced places. I, I remember um, there's a place in the Northeast, which is it's spelled C-A-M-B-O-I-S. And I pronounced it Cambois, much to my mum's my hysterical laughter, um, because it's actually pronounced Camis. Of course it is. <laughs> okay, so tip number six and actually deals with tipping, which again is is one of the most common questions that I'm asked. Um, especially if you come from a culture uh, where tipping is expected, such as um, America, um, you might be surprised to know that actually tipping's not expected in England. It's always appreciated, but it's not expected. You know, if you want to tip for good service in a restaurant, um, a 10 to 15% tip is generally what would recommend. Um, but do check that in case the service charge has already been added, which, which generally can, which can be the case. So if that has been just, you know, there's no expectation of tip. Um, you know, if you're ordering at a bar, um, there's again, no expectation to tip. But if you're in a restaurant and served by a waitress, yeah, sure, add, you know, 10% to the bill. Um, and give them the tip. If you take the London cab, for example, round it up to the nearest pound, we'd recommend that. And if you have a baggage porter, um, who takes your baggage to your room, um, you know, a two pound tip is absolutely uh, acceptable. So that's not a problem. But as I say, it's not a huge expectation that you're going to tip it's not you won't have somebody you know I, I know we when we traveled around america we we yeah, we had a few occasions where the expectation of the tip was um i don't know how to put this but it was was uh, very strongly suggested 
Um, so you won't find that in, in England at all. As I say, if you had good service, it is a good thing to tip. But again, as I say, it's not an expectation. So tip number seven, what do you do when you need to spend a penny? If you're out and about in England and need the loo, you may be wondering how to find a public toilet. So you'll find that there are public toilets in shopping centres, department stores, train stations. And of course, there's always McDonald's if um, you always find a McDonald's. Um, there are some great apps available which you can use to find the location of the nearest public toilet. So, and I've got actually a, an article on my website about different apps that are useful to have when you travel in the UK, and I will link to that in the show notes. But yeah, so if you need the toilet, you'll find that most of them are free as well, although some will charge. But you know, on most most occasions, we would head for um, the shopping centre, department store, or McDonald's, or and train stations recently have stopped charging to use the toilets. Um, so you shouldn't need any change for that. But again, you'll find that there are kind of plenty of toilets around. Um, so don't worry, especially if you're in one of the cities. Obviously, if you're out in the countryside, that might be slightly more difficult. But yes, I would, I would recommend sort of downloading an app if that's something that you're, you know, you're going to feel that you're going to be conscious of that you will need the toilet. That's probably your best way forward. So tip number eight is to enjoy England with all its quirks, you know, embrace, expect it to be different to where you come from. Um, don't go looking for the familiar, but actually embrace the food, the culture and the opportunities that you have to explore the country. This is one of the reasons I, I highly recommend that you don't spend your entire holiday in London um, because you, you won't really get to experience England. So get out and about, see attractions in other parts of the country because there's so many amazing places to visit in England. Uh, we've got, you know, areas of outstanding na natural beauty, such as you know, the Lake District, the Cotswold, the Peak District. Um, England's also filled with places of interest, the history buffs. There's like quite a few castles, I've heard. Um, quite a few stately homes, historic cities such as Bath, which is also a UNESCO World Heritage Site. York, seaside towns, beautiful um, and very quaint little villages in the Cotswolds, for example. As you explore, don't forget to add some unique English experiences into your travels, such as, you know, enjoy a pint in an English pub, have a hike through the countryside, you know, go to an English football match. Um, you know, if you can't get tickets, which I know are really difficult, then, then enjoy it from a, from a pub. Um, enjoy a fish and chip supper, you know, and enjoy the random opportunities, uh, and places to visit as you travel. You know, I love London, I really do. And I understand why people want to see, you know, famous sites and the landmarks like Big Ben and Buckingham Palace. But a few days in London, it does not mean that you have experienced England. So if you can, um, even if you're planning a week in London and that's all you've got, try and have, do a day trip, try and get out, go to Bath for the day, you know, go to, down to Brighton to the coast, go to Canterbury. There's lots and lots of places that you can visit from uh, London for the day. Um, you know, in this previous podcast, we spoke to John England from John England Tours, and he takes some absolutely fantastic tours for those of you who are interested in history, to Hever Castle, Dover Castle, go and see the White Cliffs. You know, um, there's lots and lots of amazing places to visit outside of London. So, you know, take the opportunity while you're there to actually go and, and explore. And um, you'll obviously meet lots of different people as well when you're, when you're out and about, which will be um, it's always great. I think that's one of the my favorite things about traveling is actually, yes, I enjoy seeing the, the places and learning about, you know, the different 
landmarks and attractions, but it's actually meeting the people and, and just kind of learning how, how people in England live would be really great to do. So as I say, you know, pop into a pub, um, go and have a, have a uh, Sunday roast, um, you know, have a, have a stroll through on, there's lots of places to walk. So have a little bit of a walk through some of the parks or, um, you know, go down. As I say, there's lots and lots of places you can visit. So, um, yeah, just enjoy the experience of actually being in England. So the next one is probably one of our favorite topics <laughs> for the English is the weather. And I get asked a lot again, I get quite a lot of, uh, emails and messages about what to pack um and you know what the english weather is the main thing i can say about it is to actually expect the unexpected because really it's so unpredictable and i kind of expect to become as obsessed as we are about it you know really you'll need a coat jacket whatever time of year you know layering is is what i absolutely say to people you know put wear layers and if it does get warm you can take them off if it gets colder you can put more on you know, if you're visiting in the winter, you may see snow, and that's definitely more likely the further north that you go. So, though I know the last few years, sort of February's been kind of the snow month. You know, don't discount visiting the UK in winter. It is low season outside of Christmas and New Year, anyway, and so places are quieter. You know, England's not the sunniest country in the world, um, so it's not somewhere that you're going to go to for the sunshine. That's for sure. You know, and compared to many countries, we do have a relatively short summer. And again, even in summer, the weather is unpredictable. So you really need to keep an eye on local forecasts and news bulletins. Make sure you've got plenty of jumpers and cardigans, a pair of comfortable walking shoes, waterproof. So in London, I would not use an umbrella because it's just not practical. And again, I guess it can be windy. So if you've got an umbrella, even if you're outside of outside of London, it can, you know, if it's windy, you're not going to be able to use an umbrella anyway. You know, you can take a pack of Mac, something like that. I, I don't particularly, personally, I don't like wearing them because I find them too hot. Um, but they are probably your best bet. And then you can keep that in your bag. And then if it starts raining, you can pop that on um, or just have a small travel umbrella. But again, as I say, not, not, I wouldn't recommend that in London. Yeah. And just something like invest in something that can keep you uh, a bit, you know, dry if it does rain. Because yes, we do get a lot of rain, but I think we do get a bit of bad press for that in terms of people just think it, think it rains every single day. So just the main thing really is to not to overpack when you're putting stuff in, you know, taking, putting your packing together really is to think in layers. So for example, I'll take, t-shirts and then i've got kind of long sleeve tops and then jumpers and then a few sort of different um thicknesses of jackets obviously in winter if you go and then i've got things like you know socks and boots and um hat and scarf and gloves and sometimes i've bought some of those little hand warmers as well but that was particularly when we were in scotland because it does get colder the, the further north that you go so that's worth bearing in mind um but i think the main thing is just to think expect the unexpected because it you literally can't predict it we could have an absolutely glorious summer this year or it could be a complete washout i don't know uh, the only thing that i do kind of <laughs> i think is typical is that the schools break up for the summer holidays on about the third week in july and guaranteed usually the first the weeks before that are beautiful sunny weather and the minute the schools break up and the kids are out for the summer holidays which are six weeks in in england it starts to rain. So hopefully that won't be the case this year, but um, just bear that in mind um, again, that you just, 
pack for every eventuality, um, you know, pack a few colored things and then maybe add some accessories. So maybe just kind of go in, you know, black, grays, navy blues, and then, you know, add a few accessories in for, for some color. And again, yeah, just I've got a packing list. So I will link to that in the show notes. So you can have a have a look at the sort of things that I recommend that you take. But, you know, we're, we're quite, uh, I should say light packers. We take as little as possible with us. Um, I just find it a lot easier. So again, it's kind of mixing and matching, you know, and, and taking taking the minimum that you think that you're going to need. There's always shops that you can go and buy clothes in if if you you know find that there's something that you need anyway. So number ten thing to know before you go to England is don't underestimate the English love of tea. So I personally don't drink coffee. I absolutely adore tea. I'm sure that it actually runs through my veins. Um, you know, lots of people are coffee lovers in the UK, that's for sure. And in England, definitely. Um, it's just not something that I've ever really enjoyed. If you order tea, expect it to come with milk and sugar, uh, which you can add. So the sugar won't be added to it, but you can add it in a posher establishment. So if you're playing an afternoon tea in London, for example, expect teapot, tea leaves and a strainer and a large choice of different teas. Um, cause of course, there's lots and lots of different teas available. From what I've heard, and I, from fellow Brits and um, particularly Australians, have told me that um, the coffee isn't brilliant in the UK, which I think is probably a bit of an exaggeration. But I know you'll definitely get a decent cup of tea. I can't promise you that you'll get a decent cup of coffee. Okay, next thing to know is don't talk too loudly in restaurants or on public transport. And I can't really stress this enough because actually. The English aren't really loud and we're quite aware or very aware, actually, of being respectful to others around us. So we tend not to talk very loudly or, in fact, possibly at all um, on things like the tube or buses. So if you do, if you are quiet and I've got a very loud voice, so I have to be my husband's always telling me. Um, so I have to be conscious of this myself is just to be conscious of the loudness of your voice because nobody wants to sit in a restaurant and hear kind of the people at the next table or on a train and hear the, the people further down the compartment um, talking. It actually is considered quite rude. And so, again, a bit like pushing in the queue, you'll find that you might get quite a lot of stares a la Paddington Bear. I don't know if you know Paddington Bear's stares. Well, that's what you will get. And tuts, especially if you on the train, for example, or you're in a designated quiet zones, because trains do have designated quiet zones. So there's no expectation there. There's going to be any music or loud talking. So, yeah, you'll, you'll find that you'll probably um, not be appreciated by the other people in the compartment with you. And then the next the next tip. The next thing to know is that don't say that we drive on the wrong side of the road, because actually. You do. Ah, no, only kidding. Um, okay. So you just need to remember that in the UK, we drive on the left. We don't drive on the right. We drive on the left. It's easy when you're driving and you, if you're used to driving on the right hand side, which obviously, you know, in Europe, uh, mainland Europe, they drive on the right. But in, I'm trying to think, well, the places that drive on the right hand side, America, Canada, I'm sure there's quite a few places in the world that do. But there's also quite a few places that drive on the left, for example, Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, and obviously all over the UK, we drive on the left. 
So, and I know that's quite a daunting prospect for if you're used to driving on the right, the thought of then all of a sudden I'm going to be driving on the, the other side of the road, not the wrong side of the road. But you will get used to it because you have to remember that when you get into your higher car, that the seat's on the other side. The driver's seat is on the other side. And believe me, there's been so many times when, when we've hired a car in France, for example, and we're getting the wrong side. And I know actually quite a lot. I know some of the cars will actually will, will have a little sign to just to remind you to drive on the left. Um, you know, and also there's a lot of cars crammed on England's roads. So don't be surprised at just how busy they are or how nor- narrow the roads are. Compared to the wide streets I've driven on in Australia or North America, English roads are very narrow. And we, we will talk in, an, in another podcast actually about how to get around the UK, including talking about driving, because there are obviously, uh, you know, different rules and things to know. Um, we have lots more roundabouts, for example, than other countries. And we actually have got a guide if you are thinking about renting a car on our website, and I will link to that in the show notes. Also, it's a good thing to know, actually, if you're used to driving on the wrong side of the <laughs> sorry, the right, um, you will instinctively look the wrong way when you attempt to cross the street. Right. And that's just, it's just what you're used to doing. So that's really important to remember to actually look both ways and then double check before you actually cross the road. In fact, use a traffic lights or a, a crossing would be far safer. But, you know, that's something you really need to be conscious of, particularly in busy cities, that if you are used to driving on the right, you are actually going to look the opposite direction when you go to cross the road. Um, and I know that's something that quite a few of my American friends have, have mentioned. Well, the next thing to note is actually quite, quite funny. Actually, I always find it quite funny is, um, that you'll find when you go to, um, your sink, if, if you're in a hotel and bathroom, that you'll find two taps for some reason. No idea. You'll find that water rarely comes out of one central tap in England. In fact, most of the UK. So you'll get cold water, very cold water out of cold tap if it's winter, and hot water out of the hot tap. So prepare to be scalded. It's a bit weird. But anyway, there are a few historical reasons for it. But I just thought I'd mention it because I think it is quite surprising if you're used to having, like most people in the world, one tap so you can get the temperature. No, there's, you either have cold and hot and then you've got to put them in the sink because you're going to have to mix it to a temperature that is not going to either freeze you to death or going to burn you. So that's worth knowing. Another thing to know is um, don't expect to try and see everything in one visit because you can't. You know, we we are going to be in uh, the UK for 12 weeks. So we're there May, June and July this year. Uh, and we will be primarily in England and Scotland. Hopefully we'll get into Wales as well. And that's in 12 weeks. And we are struggling to fit in as much as we want to see. So, you know, you're just, you're just not going to be able to do it. It is tempting to try and do put as much in your schedule as you can. Um, but obviously, you know, you'll just end up exhausted and you probably won't enjoy it as much as you would have done if you kind of think carefully when you plan it. So, I mean, I know putting together an itinerary, especially, you know, visiting somewhere like the UK, which has got, there's just so much to see. Um, and, you know, we're talking England, we've got England, we've got Scotland, we've got Wales, we've got Northern Ireland, where do you go, what do you see? Um, and that, again, that's something that's quite often mentioned to me. So if you're feeling overwhelmed with that process, we do have um, the five-step itinerary planning challenge, uh, which, again, I'll link to in the show notes. This is free. 
It's basically videos. I take you through videos to take you through each of those steps. Um, and there's a little booklet which you can work through as well, just to try and help you focus and choose those places that for you are kind of your, you know, your must do's and also, you know, your nice to do's. But then we can build an itinerary around that. And we also offer if, you know, if you've done that and you're still feeling a bit overwhelmed and you're not sure, we also do offer an itinerary review service where we spend some time on Zoom. We go through your itinerary um, and then give you kind of um, a detailed PDF document afterwards with, with everything that we've talked about. Because, you know, you, you want to make the most of your time in England when you're visiting. Um, so we totally understand, you know, trying to prioritize what it is that you want to fit in and, and the best ways to get around so that you don't find that you go back after two weeks and you're just absolutely exhausted. And, you know, you spent 10 minutes at Heaver Castle and you spent, you know, 15 minutes at Stonehenge and you, you sort of glimpsed Bath as you drove past it in the coach or, or whatever, you know, we'll help you be able to kind of get the most out of your trip um, and your priorities. So there you have it. Those are my kind of 14 things to know um, before you visit England. I hope that's helped. Um, if you've got any questions, you know, do join our Facebook group um, because it's a great place there to, to ask questions of people who've been on the travels to the UK and returned or, you know, people who are also planning their trips. You know, you can book an itinerary review with us as well if it's something that you want to go through. And also, if you just want to have a chat, you know, we're both we're both English. Uh, Doug's from the Midlands. I'm from the north of England. Yeah. So these are all kind of useful tips and useful things to know, I think, just to keep in the back of your mind. And kind of, you know, I know certainly questions about tipping is one of those ones that comes up really often. And again, what to pack and what to expect from things like the weather. And honestly, if I could predict the weather in England, I'd be a, a multimillionaire by now, I think, um, because it's unpredictable. But yeah, so everything I've talked about uh, will be in the show notes for today's episode um, with links to everything as well, that, the places that I've mentioned and those services that we offer. Do listen out for future podcasts where we're going to be talking about how to get around London on public transport and actually how the best ways to get around England, Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland uh, with Doug. So he'll be talking specifically about train travel because that's his area of expertise. Um, but we'll also be talking about how to, you know, driving tips, buses, coaches, and also talk actually a little bit about the language that we use, how we describe those uh, different ways of getting around, you know, what the difference between a bus and a coach. And, you know, we use the, the term underground and tube, but it's the same thing. You know, so we can talk through all of those uh, issues and, and those areas too. So do pop in you know, listen to us via your favorite podcast app. So please do subscribe. Also, if you're enjoying our podcast, please leave a, a review. That would be absolutely fantastic. We'd love that. Until next time, I'd like to say happy UK travel planning and speak soon.